Hello, welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. Wesley, let's get existential on this one, man. Woo, existential. We're, we're going to be talking about uh, Spike Jonze's 2013 film, Her, and then we're going to be getting into David Lowry's 2017 film, A Ghost Story. Both mm. two films that either make you feel really good or make you feel like shit. I think I think Her is the only exception that makes you feel really good. Yeah, I feel like if you feel really good after Ghost Story, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it's true. Like, Ghost Story is so, so sad. Yeah, and we were watching it last night. I just looked around the room, and I was like, this movie just gives me crippling depression. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so sad. But we'll get into that when we talk about the movie. But first off, how was your week? It's good. Um, I'm working five days right now, so I'm back to some semblance of full-time. Mm-hmm. That's been weird to try and adjust back into, but yeah. also it's nice to know that I have a stable job and I'm making money right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So mainly just been working and coming home and watching a movie every night. I watched um, Promising Young Woman, uh, Kajillionaire. So I watched a couple new movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Kid Detective was another one I watched. It was very good. It's very good. It's very cool. <laughs> I liked it. Um, but another one I watched is Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. So mm-hmm. I've mainly just been catching up on new movies and then trying to throw in some old ones that I haven't gotten around to. Yeah. It's mainly been about it. What, what about you, man? How's your week been? Uh, my week's been good. I started school again. I'm back into online classes. Um, we, as since I'm taking a theater major, one of the big things about our third year is that we kind of make our own uh, theater production. And so... We have started our rehearsals, which, oh my goodness, takes up so much of my time now, but that's okay. Um, I have, like, rehearsals almost every day, every night of the week, um, which is a lot, but I also have a rehearsal from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. on Saturdays. Ew. So a lot of my schedule is devoted to that, but it's understandable because I'm literally putting on this show the second week of February, and we just started... Uh, we haven't. We don't even have a script yet, um, and it's what the tenth. Yeah, January tenth. So, Oof. yeah, uh, got a little bit of work to do in the next four weeks or three weeks or however long it is. But um, I'm excited, and uh, it, it'll definitely be a challenge. But uh, I've got a good group of people to work with, and my professor Matt Walker. He's amazing. Um, he's done lots of device stuff before, so he really knows what he's doing, which is super useful. Um, but yeah, that's kind of taking up a lot of my time, uh, but it's fun. I'm enjoying it. How long is the the thing that you're working on? How long does it have to be? There's no real time limit. Um, it'll probably be somewhere around an hour or an hour and a half. I wouldn't oh, wow. expect it to be more than that, mm-hmm. um, but I could be wrong. Maybe it's two hours and I'm, I'm in, I've got more than I expected, but who knows? We'll see. You're busy Mondays or Fridays right now, like 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, That's I don't awful. have to be there every single night. I have, I'm just scheduled for a couple nights. Um, but it's essentially anytime I'm not doing rehearsals, I'm either doing actual schoolwork or working on my stuff I got from rehearsals. So it's kind of taking over my life, uh, and all I'll be talking about is that for most of the time now. Yeah, every um, time I ask in the how, how are you doing section for like the next like two months, it's just going to be like, yeah. Exactly. School. Um, but I, I, one thing I am very excited about, and I've talked about this before, I've talked about how I started playing D&D. 
Um, and for my scene in this production, uh, we were able to work in D&D. We were kind of doing like a little... Um, as as our characters, we're doing a little D and D session in the in the scene. Hopefully, um, it's one of the offers we brought up. So I'm working on building a little D and D session, which is a lot of fun uh, because it'll be less like actual strategic D and D and more of like Stranger Things style D and D, where you where they're like cast fireball, no cast protection, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it'll be a lot of fun to put into a theater piece, and especially because. Uh, my director, Matt, he has not played D&D or seen a lot of D&D, and so us offering that and being like, there's so much theatrical use to D&D, like, people have music, people have costumes sometimes, people do voices for their characters, like, I think we can really use it as a theatrical way to uh, provoke some um, problems within the scene, and so I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's hype to be able to take something that you've been really enjoying for the last, like, month and just be like, and apply it into school. Yeah, it's it, it's a huge part of theater, I think. Like, so many, and, and when we talk about her, it, this will be even more amplified, but so much of uh, movies and just media that we see in our lives are influenced by those people's lives. So the fact that I get to put this thing that um, all three of the people in my group play D&D into our theater production is super fun because i have been in love with it and has been part of my life a lot lately and so um it it will help with my character because i can use that part of my life where i'm like i love D and influence that into my character Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun and it's also a lot of fun to build your own character too in a theater piece like our, our characters are built straight from the ground up and so it's kind of fun to be like okay if my character is doing this what does that mean for my character or like um, where it'll be said a lot in COVID times. So like, what's a normal year look like for my character? And what does a COVID year look like? Why, what, what are the differences and why does that affect my character in the way that he does, what that does? Right. So it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to actually build your own character instead of like reading a Shakespeare script and being like, this is Anthony. And, um, he was friends with Julius Caesar, but he's actually a really cool dude. And, uh, he is working to fight the evil guys who killed Caesar. And it's like, okay, but then making your own character is so much more fun. Yeah. I feel like it'd just be a lot more rewarding. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. getting to play him too. I haven't given him a, ma- a name yet. We, uh, we <laughs> when we first started making them, we came up with some just funny names. Cause we were like, what are our names? And I was like, okay, what is the worst guy name I can think of? Um, and, uh, I can't remember what I came up with at first, but eventually it came to the point where we were named uh, Augustus, Bartholomew, and Clive. Oof. They won't let us use those names. We have to pick new names. Bartholomew is the worst. Augustus <laughs> and Clyde are, are not too bad. Bartholomew, yeah. oof. Yeah, Bartholomew's pretty rough. Um, but at least Bartholomew gets like Bart as a short. Augustus, you don't get anything. You are just Augustus. You got Gus. Yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. Like that's kind of kind of a reach, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing this week, and it's going to be consuming my life for the rest of the month. So, so we'll we'll skip the how's it going segments for the next couple episodes, and you can just listen to this one. Maybe, it, yeah, if no, you're if you're kidding. wondering what I'm doing for the next month, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we're, it's back into routine sort of right now. Yeah, for the foreseeable future. The uh, the good thing though is that soon I will be doing since my class sizes are so small. And things are kind of okay here uh, in Nova Scotia. 
um, we will be having some in-person stuff where I'll have in-person dance classes and voice classes and um, acting classes as well. So I'm very excited for that because that um, it'll make those evenings where I'm stuck on Zoom making a production on Zoom uh, a little bit more tolerable to have to sit in front of my laptop. Yeah, and now being in person with people, you can actually get that feeling that you moved to Halifax for that we haven't had for the exactly, last five right? months. Exactly, right? Exactly. So Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, that's kind of what I, what's been going on um, with me. But let's let's take a dive into what's been going on in the movie Her as nice, a starter. Nice segue. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I tried. I was like, I was like, there's some way I can segue this, right? Um, but yeah, our first movie that we're going to be talking about is Her, directed by Spike Jones uh, in 2014. Thirteen. Thirteen. Um, this is I didn't watch this movie till a couple nights ago. Me too. Yeah, we we all watched it for the first time together. I know people really love this movie. I think it won Best Picture in mm. 2013. And and I've heard for the whole decade that it's like one of the greatest movies of, of our generation. Yeah. And I don't know why it took so long to get around to it, especially because I love Joaquin and I love um, Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And I even like some of Spike Jonze's other stuff. So I was, it's kind of weird that it took me so long to get around to this one. Yeah, I, I've heard about it multiple times and just never got around to watching it. But I'm so glad I did because I think I rated it a five. Yeah, this is a five. Yeah. We're gonna we spoiled that out in advance. Yeah. Didn't want to save it for the ending. This in is, advance, we I think this movie's a five. We're making up for lost time here. We have to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um but kind of just to get into this movie, so for those of you who don't know, which you probably do if you're listening to this, uh hers the story about a man uh, named Theodore who goes through uh, a horrible breakup with his ex wife and they get divorced. Um and he finds new love within the futuristic world of an AI. Um, and he falls in love with an AI. And so it's kind of like a look on his life. It's very much a character study about Theodore. I think one of the reasons that uh, I took so long to get around to this is because I seen somebody describe it as like, dude falls in love with Siri. And I was instantly turned off from it. And that's not what this movie is. That's such a shallow observation to yeah. take so long to watch this movie for. But... I guess I didn't really know how much I'd enjoy a, a love story with, with an AI. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's kind of weird to think about an AI that way. Like, um, just to have a quick AI talk, uh, my personal opinions on AI, I think it's great that we have things like Siri and Google Home to be like, hey, Google, or hey, Siri, or whatever. Um, I hope your Google Home went off uh, while you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah, we can't uh, say the forbidden A1 because I know that, like... My- I'm going to say it. Hey, Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) My brother has an Alexa and um, this, yeah, like it picks up easily. It's not like voice detected sort of thing. It's literally just. It's very easy. Yeah. Um, But I I personally think it's great that we have those things. But once AI progresses into the future, I never, I don't, I think once AI gets a little more human, I think I'll be scared of it. I don't really like AI. And maybe that's just me basing it out of the fact that every AI in every single movie is evil. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just that classic Hollywood staple. Um, but me personally, I'm just, AI is kind of weird and it freaks me out. But in this movie, I found that it didn't really. Like, I agree. I feel like a lot of the time in movies, and honestly, like I feel like that's just been programmed to us. It's like, hey, if you see an AI, it's probably evil. Yeah. This goes back so far with like HAL 9000 and everything in Space Odyssey. Like, yeah. AI is just freaky. Mm-hmm. It's really just one of those things where people aren't comfortable knowing that much power is in, con- in like that has much that, that much power. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, AIs are 
disturbing and movies have always kind of reinforced to us that they're disturbing and it's nice to have a movie like her where it's like it's not that bad man yeah i think i think one of the really cool things about the ai and her is a lot of the times evil ais um don't have humanity to them like how doesn't have humanity to him in space odyssey he's very much like a logistic like uh there there's a 3.7 percent chance that you will die yeah. or whatever um and so that that's the scary thing about ai is that they don't have that humanity and they're not like oh we need to save this person because they're a person it's like well if we try to save them that's a bad idea so we're not going to do it yeah we're with the logical path um but in this the ai is trying to become more human and is actively trying to seek out humanity and so I think that's why this AI feels a little less scary. Samantha is her name. I guess I better start calling her Samantha. <laughs> yeah, rather than just calling her the AI, the AI while we try and reinforce that she's not scary. Yeah, but. exactly. Now, Samantha is more human in the way that she wants to become human, and she make, has this relationship with Theodore. And so I think that's one of the big reasons why it doesn't feel as scary. Um, but I also like how, uh, this movie constantly reminds us that this is an AI, like this is not a person, this is an AI with moments like having her like have somebody explain what touch feels like, or having her be like, I'm, I imagine I'm in a body standing next to you or whatever. Like it, it still keeps those moments of like, Hey, this is an AI mm -hmm. drops it in your head just to be like, if, in case you forgot. Um, which frequently kind of happens throughout the movie. Like I found myself constantly forgetting that she was an AI because Samantha really does just kind of feel human. It feels very human. And, and especially as she grows throughout the movie. Um, yeah, like it got to a point where I would, I would constantly forget and the movie would have to remind me that, mm -hmm. that she was an AI. So I think, um, that's a really important thing this movie does with their AI. And also great job, Scarlett Johansson on the voice acting. Like, wow, really knocked it out of the park. I, I know. Like I... Obviously, the acting is it translates. Like, if she's a great actor on screen, she'll be a great voice actress. Um, mm -hmm. But I've never really seen her do voice acting uh, stuff before. So yeah. it was really interesting to have Scarlett Johansson and then hear her and instantly be like, yeah, that's Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I think, the, I think one of the really impressive things about that especially is there's um, – she doesn't have – like, when you usually do voice acting, it's usually for a character on screen and you see what they're doing and you can – influence the emotion in your voice through seeing what the characters are doing but in this case she does not have that she does not have a character there's no physicality to it and so it's all verbal so i think she really gets some good emotion across in those verbal moments and just hearing her say, say things and watching theo react um is a very great way in my opinion to like when you don't have the actual physical person there, it's a great way to show that emotion. Yeah, have having Joaquin physically react to her comments, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is a very good way of doing that. Um, another thing I do want to touch on too is the futuristicness of this movie. I absolutely love. I'm a sucker for movies that um are set in the future, but not too far into the future. Like it's a believable future not uh, uh, Blade Runner or something like that, right. you know? Um, and so uh, I, I kind of like the fact that this feels very, it still feels very modern, but has that futuristic aspect of it. Um, and so the setting of like, this is set in LA, and so the super smoggy skies and the gray backgrounds and stuff, 
it indicates that uh, the the world has gone into the future a bit. It feels more futuristic, but we still get these crazy bright pops of color like in the office that he works at. There's so much color in that office. And just specifically in his wardrobe, he wears like a lot of bright reds or uh, greens or like bright colors um, that contrast from the drab, uh, very monotone uh, color palette of the rest of the world. And Even... So- even the other people, too, I find, yeah. are, are very drab and kind of just, like, I mean, not, like, the supporting characters, but I'm talking, like, the people that are walking around around him mm-hmm. are all very drab. And I think the way that he wears red in a lot of the scenes, and red thematically pops up a lot throughout this movie, Yeah, uh, I think is really interesting. And it does kind of pop amongst, like, the, the drab colors in the back of it. Mm-hmm. This movie, it feels like L.A. still, but, like distant like it's it's different from the la we know but it's not so far removed from la in the sense where it's like oh my god this is like cyberpunk or or blade runner you know i i agree i really do think it's cool to see futuristic movies that are just kind of like a little bit removed from the world we currently live in like it's things Mm -hmm. feel different but it's not like yeah so different it's not so different that we don't still feel like characters could interact in this space and this setting feels kind of normal um uh, this is, I just really want to make a quick jab at L.A. I also love how they keep the L.A. style of um, finding ways to make money off very heartfelt, meaningful things. Mm-hmm. And now he's writing like meaningful letters to everyone and making money off of it. Yeah. Keeping that L.A. vibe. Um, no offense, L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It deserves all the jabs that we, we send it to L.A. takes people's dreams and just... He consumes them and he spits out money and it's that's like he, it. You're part of the machine now. Exactly. I mean, I've always wanted to go to LA and I do have like a fascination with, with LA, but yeah, it's, mm. it's one of those things where like it could eat you alive. So you got to be careful. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I just really, I really like the futuristic setting we've got going on here. Um, but I think when we really get into the movie, like really diving into the movie, um, I think a huge thing is, like, this is a character study about Theodore um, and how he's living his life, um, but I think change is a very big theme in this movie. Um, there's so there's so much about change that is happening to, I want to say, like, our three main characters being, or not even main, but, like, um, Theodore, uh, Samantha, and Theodore's ex-wife, Catherine. Change is very prevalent in all of their lives. Um, with Theo, we'll start with Theo. Uh, I th- Theo doesn't really want change, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah, because he he's like I I like being married. I don't want to be divorced, even though he's been divorced for a year. Relationship has been dead for a long time. He's only bound in this marriage by papers. Yeah, but he can't sign them because he doesn't want to accept that the relationship is over. And he's also it's it's we can imply that he's been working in his job for a very long time because. Uh, everyone thinks his letters are the best letters. Like he's got the greatest letters, um, and everyone knows him. And so it's it's pretty clear that he's probably been there for a while. Um, yeah, he doesn't really like change, and he's very okay with um, doing things that are just simple and immediately gratifying, instant gratification. Um, and so he is he's on the other spectrum of these two characters, where change is an important thing in his life, but he just doesn't know it yet. Um, and it's, it's so clear through just like even the little things of like 
not putting the effort into hanging out with his friends or talking to his friends. Like he, he gets an email about, Hey, let's hang out. I want to, uh, I want the old you, the nice, funny, like caring you, not this boring person that we see now. Um, and he's just like message him later or something. Um, so he, he clearly has those people that he can reach out to, but he just doesn't. And he is very much in his own world and doesn't care to put that effort into those social interactions. Um, and so his character at the beginning of this movie is very much, he's very much lost. I think he's very much lost in what he wants and he's just constantly doing these things that are, uh, instantly gratifying and, um, don't require a lot of effort to be put in. Yeah. He's, um, he's kind of accepted the day to day repeat, like rinse and repeat sort of life that he's leading where he goes to work and then he goes home and he calls a sex line and then yeah and he's not satisfied with it still and, and bill hater picks up you told me that that's nuts yeah quick little side fact uh bill haters in this movie and he is the first woman that uh theodore calls on the sex hotline before he gets to like kitty whatever the heck okay i was gonna say are you talking about like the choking no, at the dead cat one or i wish that was bill hater but it's not i was like that's not bill hater that doesn't make sense <laughs> no he, he he puts on a voice and uh i was reading an interview and apparently he went to go see the movie with his dad um and he told his dad that he was in it um dad, at the end of the movie his dad's like where were you like i didn't see you in the movie and then he had to tell his dad that he uh he was a sex line worker uh but i find that kind of funny that they just threw bill Hader in there i don't know why but he's a gem he deserves every role even if it's in 10 seconds of the movie it being a sex line worker um uh but talking about cameos i'll also mention really quickly that uh spike jones is is in this movie uh, he plays that little, uh, it's his alien child. I saw that it said Spike Jones alien child. And I was like, what alien child? Like where oh, did I miss something in this yeah. movie? Are there aliens in this movie? And then I realized it's from the game. Yeah. The little VR game that he plays with the, yeah. the mouthy alien with the mouthy, uh, little kid alien, which is really funny. I would have a blast doing that role. It's, it's a fine line between having the tone set up the way that this movie does and then introducing that alien child yeah. and, and making it work. The alien child's literally there, and uh, Theodore's like, hey, do you know how I can uh, get out of this cave? And the alien child's like, fuck you. It's so funny. Like, the things he says are are gross. Yeah, I'm it's not going to say anything. Uh, I'm not going to go any further than that. But um, uh, also, really quickly, sorry to jump all over the place right now. Uh, but just quickly go back to go back to Theodore. It's also uh, him being lost is very much shown in the game he's playing. He never gets anywhere. He doesn't complete anything. We yeah. never see him complete anything. He's just always walking, and he's always lost, and he doesn't know where he's going. Um, and also, some people say that uh, the idea that the that they got divorced because of uh, an abortion or not an abortion uh, miscarriage uh, is set through the video game as well because a lot of the caves that he explores kind of resembles like female genitalia i guess right i don't know that one's kind of a stretch i don't know spike Um, jones would definitely do something like that though yeah uh so that's another little interesting thing but anywho back to change um then we jump over we can also jump over to Catherine's character um as the uh opposite of what theodore is where she clearly wanted change in their relationship there's a scene where they talk about uh where she says why am i the only one making the decisions that kind of thing he's theodore seems to have 
like kind of given up on trying and putting an effort in this relationship. Uh, but she hasn't. She's still changing, evolving, becoming a human, well, being a human as humans do. And so um, she sees change as a positive thing while Theodore sees it as this negative thing. And so um, when they go to sign the divorce papers, she says it's great that he's dating an AI, like I said earlier, because it's easy and simple. Um, but even when we go to the AI, we see that it's not as easy and simple as she thought. See, Samantha is also becoming a human. She's also evolving and changes something that's written into her programming. It says at the beginning of the movie that she constantly evolves. Um, she's never stop. She does never stop evolving, and so um, she is changing and becoming more and more human. She can't get all the way to human because that's impossible. Um, but she's getting there, and when she gets to the point of being pretty close to human is when she leaves. And the reason why she leaves is because she realizes she's changing. And so we see uh, we see Samantha changing constantly. And when she evolves past where Theo is, she leaves Theo. And so Theo experiences change twice. I think the AI really teaches him that he needs to change and he needs to actually put that effort into his life if he wants something that's going to fulfill him. Something real. Exactly. He mm -hmm. can't keep getting these instant gratification things expecting the same feeling that he would have gotten with his wife when he put in so much work and effort into their relationship. Right. And so um, it, it very much looks at Theo and his understanding of change and how right now in his life he doesn't want to. But as the AIs change and leave him and as Catherine changes and leaves him – he understands that he also needs to change, and he will constantly be changing. We see him change throughout the movie, becoming more social, hanging out with his friends more. He even goes on a double date with his with the secretary at his office, Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about Chris Pratt's character, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I think change is such a huge thing in this movie, and it's, it's a very big theme that can be taken away from this movie and in the importance of change as well as people like we are always constantly changing and the things around us are always constantly changing and we have to adapt to those things and that's so clear especially right now during covid where we are all adapting and changing to the new life we're living right now where we're stuck inside and we need to find new ways to work we need to find uh, ways to stay safe we need to find new ways to connect to people and so um it's it's so prevalent to the life that we live as humans because we are constantly changing all the time, and it's an important thing that we need to do. Yeah, and be okay with as well, mm -hmm. because Theo is not okay with change, but change is an, such an important thing to us as humans that we need to be okay with it. Yeah, I throughout the movie too, like you can really see him come back to life. Mm -hmm. Like he's so. Uh, stuck in his ways at the beginning of the movie and being with Samantha, you can really see that joy sort of start to come back in him. And that's a product of the the love and the relationship that he has with Samantha, but it's also moving forward. Yeah. It's also him understanding in a sense that he can't just be stuck in the relationship that he had that didn't work out, mm -hmm. that he needs to be with Samantha. And then even when things don't work out with Samantha, it's the same thing. He's learned that same lesson again. And the question I wanted to ask is, do you think that he ends up with Amy Adams' character? No. Okay. And here's why. Because as much as it seems that way, I think that it, it, at one point it's implied that they 
had dated before um, and it just didn't work out or something or that they had just been too good of friends to date. So I think, no, I don't think they start dating, but I think they probably start hanging out a lot more. Like they probably become better friends because of this because she also gets left by her husband and an AI. She gets the same treatment that Theo gets, Mm -hmm. um, except a lot more quick in succession. Yeah. And so uh, it's... I don't think they end up together, but I, I think they become better friends because they both live through the same experience, essentially, at this point. Yeah, it just sort of draws them closer and uh, makes that connection already stronger. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, I think you bring up a very good, a very interesting point when it's like, where it's like, uh, do Theo and Amy Adams' character stay together? Um, because at the end of the movie, I find that uh, Theo... When he he understands, I think at that point he understands the change he has to go through. Like, I think he understands that he needs something more fulfilling. Um, But a really interesting thing, I think, through Samantha is Samantha definitely helps him understand that change. Um, She helps him in many ways. One of those ways being she kind of puts his life back together at the beginning. She's like, okay, you have 6,000 unread emails, and I'll sort them into ones that are important and not, and all this stuff. And so... She alleviates that pressure of, like, everyday life that he is struggling with um, in such an important way for his character because I think just by alleviating that pressure, that's what opens him up to going on that blind date or and then eventually dating Samantha. Um, those are the things that uh, open, it, open his life up a bit more. And it's super interesting, too, when we get that blind date. Uh, I wanted to mention that blind date. I only know that actress from... House, I think that's the only thing I know her from. Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she, when they go on that blind date, I think it's really interesting that at the end of it, she is like, are you ready to like commit? Like seriously commit to this? Because I, I don't have the time. And it, it's so interesting because it's a very, it's, it's a very true like real life point too. Um, that commitment and that attention to time and, like, that kind of thing. In this movie, I don't think I've ever met anyone who, after a first blind date, said, are you willing to commit to this relationship at the end of it? I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, But kudos to her for being uh, upfront. Yeah, she's just just sick of the shit. She's like, look, I don't want you to just... uh, I don't want this to be a one-and-done thing. Like, if if you're willing to keep going with this, so am I, but you got to put the effort in. And clearly, Theo is not ready to put the effort in. He yeah, immediately he's like, "Let's take a take a rain check." Yeah, he's he. But the great thing is that he understands. Like yeah. he knows at that point that he's not ready to do uh, anything that serious. Um, and so, I I I found that that moment very striking. And it's it's a moment. It's a thing that's used a lot too. I believe it's in this moment um, where we get these. Uh, shots, these like really close-up shots of Theo's face, and it switches to um, these flashbacks, these montages of flashbacks. And I think that's one thing that this movie does so well um, is the montage of flashbacks that it gives. Where uh, I think I think it's Alfred Hitchcock that explains this at some point. I watched a video before this um, where the context between. The from shot A of looking at someone to shot B of them of seeing what they're looking at and then back to shot A and getting their reaction, whatever you put in the middle can change 
so much of the context of what's what you're seeing the character react to. Uh, I think the example he uses is it's like a man watches a mother and a child playing and it makes him happy so he smiles. And then the next one is, so you think he's like a good guy. Uh, but then the next one is a man looks at a naked woman and he smiles and he becomes a creep. Right. You know? It's all about the context of which it's all that about smile the context. takes place in. Yeah. And so we get a lot of these super emotional, like very happy, nice flashbacks. But in the context of Theo laying by himself in bed or Theo standing on the side of a street alone, it makes them so much more bittersweet. Um, and that's that's uh, an amazing thing this movie does with these flashbacks is it takes the context of Theo being alone and lonely and makes these beautiful things seem so sad. Um, and so it also influences uh, our character and like what we think of him. Uh like in moments where he is laying in bed alone doing nothing and he thinks of laying in bed with his wife like that's such a nice moment and it is a nice moment and even in that context it's still a nice moment even though it has bitter sweetness to it um and so these these montages are used so well in this movie in my opinion and specifically another um point that i want to bring up really quickly and then that's kind of it for my rant because I feel like I've been talking forever. <laughs> um, That's okay. You have a lot to say about. I'm not say about her. Um, is the, the multitude of sex scenes that are in this movie not sex scenes specific, but like sexual scenes in this movie. Um, it, I find it really interesting that uh, in almost all of the like real life sex scenes, we kind of, we see what's going on. Like we visually see it. And that one time that Theo and Samantha have like a AI weird sexy time, it's just black. It's mm-hmm. nothingness, and it, it is so. It, that one moment of black, like dark nothingness, I think means so much more in the context of this movie because it's that human connection once again. It's that. It's the fact that when you go on an adventure with a good friend you remember like what you did you see the visuals you remember their face but if you talk to an ai or something about your life or if you're on the phone talking to someone about their day you don't get the same visuals as if like if you were there mm-hmm. you know and so i think it's really interesting talking about human connection in that way because um it's it's that idea of us remembering those human moments that we have those uh, little moments that we share with people and you can't get the same thing from the AI obviously because they haven't lived those experiences they can't be there right beside you and so I thought it was a super cool moment of just being like yes this is very similar to a, to a human relationship but it's not the same yeah like you they, can't, there's I, a line you can't cross yeah you can't ever fully get that like yeah. you can't visually show a sex scene between an AI and a human because it's not really happening. Yeah, there's nothing to show. Mm-hmm. And so, unless you just want to watch uh, well, Theodore Phoenix loving it, unless you just want to watch Theodore <laughs> laying in his bed loving it, and I don't really want to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really effective the way that they they just put black and you just hear mm-hmm. that interaction. And that's the thing about this movie is it just really gets human connection and human mm-hmm. interaction in like the littlest ways and in the biggest ways, obviously, but there's so many details about this that just really understand connection mm-hmm. and, and being a human. Yeah. And even to the degree where Samantha isn't a human, 
like I had mentioned earlier, I found myself consistently forgetting that mm-hmm. because the line kind of gets blurred of like what makes a human. Yeah, exactly. Like she, she is in the, in the sense of what she feels in the sense of what she's experienced. She is. Yeah. She just can't ever fully be a human in the sense where this relationship won't ever really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They make each other happy and they, they teach each other things and they both learn a lot from this relationship. But I think by the time that they're not together, they both have kind of understood that yeah. this isn't really going to lead to anything other mm-hmm. than the fact that they've learned a lot from each other and they care about each other. I think I think another super interesting thing about that is I was watching a, a video um, about the movie and just like kind of the shot composition and that kind of stuff. And if you watch throughout this movie, um, Theo is always shot by himself. He's always alone. Um, when he's in the elevator talking to his couple friend uh his friends that are a couple um it's always we get shot of the couple together and then we get a shot of theo alone and even when he goes on that double date with his uh secretary friend um we see his secretary friend and his girlfriend shot together and even though him and samantha are together he's still shot alone like it's it it shows that yes he he does have someone but he's still alone like the, he he doesn't actually have a person there who's gonna challenge him and really make him better. Yeah, uh, this is just an AI who will do whatever he wants, kind of, until she becomes her own person. And so, this movie there is so much more I'd love to talk about for this movie, but we do have to talk about Ghost Story. But just kind of like, um, kind of closing wrap up my arguments, kind of thing. Um. If you gather anything from her, if you gather a single thing from her, it's to understand that change is okay and that it is an important part of human life. And if you want to be human and you want to experience life and you want to feel fulfilled, you have to be ready to commit to change. Because if you don't and you stay where you are and you don't try and make yourself better in any way, you won't get as far as you want to and you will not feel as fulfilled as you would love to be. Yeah. I think this movie is really saying it's okay to grow and it's okay to to outgrow people mm-hmm. and that, that there's nothing wrong with it. Like one of the things I really love about this movie is that it doesn't villainize anyone. Nobody, is, even Catherine, isn't treated as a monster because of what's happened with their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just people outgrow each other sometimes and she outgrew Theodore and... Not outgrew, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, that she, relationship wasn't working. Yeah, she, she, I would say outgrew. Yeah. Not in a, like a, in like in a, a mean sense. Yeah, but, in a negative context, but in the fact that she wanted had, different things. Yeah, exactly. She just wanted different things. And then also happens the same thing with, with Samantha and, and Theo is it's not like outgrowing in a negative sense. It's just outgrowing in the sense where these two things are going separate ways. Yeah, exactly. She's an AI who wants to talk to other like minded AIs and learn more about the world and, Theo has a limited knowledge and compared to the fact that they reconstructed some old philosopher into an AI and he, what was that? I don't even remember what philosopher it was. Me neither, but some I know what you're philosopher. talking about. And so they started having a conversation and Theo just could not keep up. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned this like 10 minutes ago. I was like, I wanted to ask you about Chris the Chris Pratt, Pratt character. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of Chris Pratt in this movie? I think he's fine. I like, think- I think he's just Chris Pratt. Yeah. And he, it's, it's kind of weird. He feels very much just like Chris Pratt. He feels like uh, his character from the uh, from Parks and Rec if he was uh, smarter. Um, Andy. Yeah, Andy. Yeah. 
And so, like, I don't know. He's fine. He's there. I like every scene that he's in. Um, I got nothing against him. He's he's just kind of a weird character. That's the only reason I really wanted to ask is because I find he's like the only jarring part of the movie in the sense, not where in the sense where it's like, oh, it's Chris Pratt. I can't pay attention anymore. But in the sense where it's, it just feels like Chris Pratt. It doesn't really feel like a character. It's just at the same time though. I think it's also a good, um, he's also a good break from like the intense, not the intensity, but like the emotional, uh, context of this movie and like the intense moments we have with uh theo like fighting with samantha or whoever just to have one character who's kind of just like dude your letters are the best i love them yeah I, like wow it's a, it's amazing like just bro, a bit of, you want to go on a double date with your ai for, girlfriend let's do it why not he's a nice dude and he also just like he's at work with the, i don't even his lawyer girlfriend just sitting on his lap as he's at the the, the secretary desk yeah just chilling i think i think he's uh if anything he's more of just like a comedic relief yeah mm-hmm. i agree um i think this movie really has has so much to say about human connection and and what it means to be human and what defines real love and all that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all handled perfectly. Yeah. I, I know people love this movie and we're obviously late to the party. But I, I understand why this has gone down in one of the great movies of our of the decade and of our generation. Mm-hmm. Is because it, it handles all the things it's trying to do like perfectly. It does such a great job. Leaves I don't think it leaves a single plot hole or anything like it's it's a great fluid character study that um, not only challenges our view on that character, but also on our own lives. Yeah. So. I think there's something really beautiful about the fact that the movie begins with him making fake letters for strangers, and then it ends with him finally writing a real one for himself. Yeah. Like, I think that's a pretty fantastic full circle moment. Mm-hmm. It, it's just very beautiful. And Arcade Fire playing the music that closes out the movie yeah. is fucking awesome. It's so good. Uh, before we move on, the one thing I wanted to bring up really quickly mm-hmm. is a movie that's really important to me is Lost in Translation, mm-hmm. which is aged somewhat poorly, mm. but it's a really good movie mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the sense where Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray's connection in that movie is just another very intimate human connection. And something really cool about this is Sofia Coppola did Lost in Translation in 2003, which was around the time that her and Spike Jones divorced. Mm-hmm. And... For a long time, people have been having the debate on is her kind of his answer to Lost in Translation. And there's a lot of things that, you know, imply it. Like there's a character in Lost in Translation who is a music video director uh, and he's very distant from Scarlett Johansson's character. Scarlett Johansson's Mm -hmm. character in that movie, kind of a stand in for Sofia Coppola. Yeah. And Spike Jones was a music video director Mm -hmm. at the time. So it's pretty clear what that's saying. Yeah. But in the same sense, it's kind of like with her, Theodore is Spike Jones. Catherine mm-hmm. is Sofia Coppola, and I seen somebody online describe um, Samantha as his career. Oh. And how um, one of the big things about Spike Jones was he wanted different things than Sofia Coppola, mainly in regards to his career, and how just the kind of push and pull thing. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's really interesting the fact that they both made movies that are like not about their relationship, but say a lot about their relationship. Once again, Coming back to the point where so much of the media that we create comes from our real life experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, the, yeah, I think this is a very, uh, I agree with you. I think this is a very, um, it, I don't know if it's the answer to Lost in Translation, but it very much seems that way. Yeah. At least, maybe not an answer, but in some sense, like, 
I don't, I don't know the wording I'm looking for, but I, I agree. I don't think it's like him him directly responding to Lost in Translation, but kind of just saying his own piece yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like I, I had to bring that up because it's, it's really interesting and it's really cool. Yeah. But anyways, now let's get into a deeply depressing, mm. and it, this is like existential in the same way her is, but on the opposite side of how yeah. it makes you feel. At the end of her, I was like, oh, this is sweet. At the end of this, I was like, uh, everything is pain and yeah. death is going to happen. <laughs> I think like I just sat through like the saddest thing I've ever watched. Yeah. So, so let's chat a ghost story. Mm-hmm. This movie for me, um, first off is deeply personal. Yeah. This is a movie that I honestly would credit with being one of the movies that got me into cinema and got me really into movies like passionately the way that I am today. Uh, I remember how I felt. I was 17 years old and I watched this movie with, with our roommate Morgan and I, I think that mo- this movie did not only a lot for our friendship, because we watched it pretty early in, into our friendship, but just for who we are as people. Like, this movie really taught me a lot about stuff mm-hmm. and just stuck with me, like, heavily. Like, think about it often, and uh, I still listen to the song I Get Overwhelmed from it, like, mm-hmm. every time I get overwhelmed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just there's something about this movie where, like, I know it's, it's not for everyone. Off the bat, this movie is definitely not for everyone. No. But if it works for you, it, it's very impactful. And, mm-hmm. and this is a movie that's stuck with me for, for so long. And I, I just I think about it often. So rewatching it with you and having the chance to talk about it is is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really this is a really good movie. I just watched it last night for the first time. Um and wow, like it's very depressing. So sad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um but it's, it's really good. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is directed by David Lowry. It came out in 2017, and it stars Rooney Mara, who was Catherine in her weird connection that we Did didn't realize. Um, so our main actress in A Ghost Story is played Catherine in her. Um, we also have Casey Affleck here and Kesha. <laughs> That's literally, I kid you not, that is the order it shows up on Google. It goes... Uh, Rooney Mara, Casey Affleck, Kesha. That's weird. But I also find it interesting that neither of our main characters have names. Yes, yeah, they just and have M. C and M. Yeah, they're just initials. So Casey Affleck is C, and Rooney Mara is M. Yeah, I never understood why they were C and M, but now I kind of get it. Yeah, I honestly don't know if it's so literal, but C being Casey and M being Mara, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Um, uh, I have a theory, but I'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. It's, I remember when we were watching it, I just looked over at everyone and was like, that's Kesha. And she's, she's in like 25 seconds of the movie. No, maybe it's more no, like a minute. No, it's probably more like a minute. Yeah. But she's only Kesha physically in like a scene in a party. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the movie, she's also like a ghost, kind of like Casey Affleck. Um, one of the things about this movie that I think is absolutely insane is the power of turning something as silly as a sheet ghost being our protagonist into like a gripping and painful movie about death and mm-hmm. our existence. I think the fact that it was able to work to take that classic corny Halloween costume and turn it into like a literal metaphor about ghosts, mm-hmm. I think is insane. And if it wasn't done well, it could have been so stupid. Yeah. And it's not stupid. It's painful and it works so well here. Mm-hmm. I think it's nuts. It's it's a great power to be able to hold something like that over the audience. It's really cool. Like, the ghost, I think there is so there's so much about this one character 
um, specifically in the fact that when you are an actor and you are no longer able to use your face to show emotion and you're under a sheet and you just have to show emotion through slight body movements and positioning of your head and your shoulders or the way you walk towards something, the speed you walk at, the speed you turn, like those small things are now the biggest parts of the emotion of this movie. And so I think it's super interesting when we feel emotion from this ghost. Like we understand when this ghost is mad or sad or like, I think it's so impressive how they do that, Mm -hmm. especially with it just being like a sheet ghost. It's, it's like the little movements, the way he puts his head down or to the side or Mm -hmm. uh, the way he kind of just holds his shoulders even like it's, it's, you can really just feel it with the the slightest movements of, of how he's feeling there. Um, For anybody, I guess who hasn't seen this movie, I'll just read the description. Recently deceased, a white-sheeted ghost returns to his suburban home to console his wife, only to find that in his spectral state he has become unstuck in time, forced to watch passively as the life he knew and the woman he loves slowly slips away. Mm. Um, that's a pretty great description. Yeah. The, the thing about this movie is that I know a lot of people find it the pretentious, like overly slow, got some major pacing issues, and that's that's obviously a criticism I can get. I mean, there's a scene where she eats a pie for, for five minutes, five minutes straight. I let me just say, when we watched this last night, in the time that she ate that entire pie, I made myself a piece of toast, put peanut butter on it, came back, sat down, and it was still happening. Like there was still probably a good minute or two left. Yeah, it goes on for a while, mm-hmm. and so it's one of those things where I can completely understand how people would be like, "This movie's kind of ridiculous and mm-hmm. kind of." really boring. Um, but it's also one of those things where if you don't feel that way, you probably love it. Like if, if it's, if it doesn't work for you, it, it won't. Mm-hmm. But if this movie is able to get, get you and pull you in, in the first 30 minutes, like it's so entrancing and captivating. Yeah. I think it's just beautiful. Yeah. It, it's got these like, um, the, the only way I can really describe it is this, uh, in, in acting class, we our professor has been talking about this term of uh, sitting in the shit or having these uncomfortable moments. You, you brought this term up to me at first, and the first time you said it, <laughs> I, I actually just glossed over it. Like, I treated it like it was totally normal. You're like, yeah, and I just like the way they sit in the shit. And I was yeah. like, okay. And then you brought it up again a couple hours later, and then I had to ask you. Yeah. I was like, what does it mean? No, so for those of you who don't know what this term means, it's it's about those, like, those moments in acting where you feel uncomfortable or... Uh, like nothing's happening and you're just, the moment feels like it's shit. So you're just sitting in it. Um, and to a lot of people, that sounds horrible. That sounds stupid. Why would anyone ever do that? Why would you want to sit in shit? Exactly. Um, but a lot of the times it's so, it can be so provoking and thought provoking and meaningful in ways that we don't realize. Like, for example, if we're talking about this pie scene, this iconic pie eating scene, She sits there and eats that pie for five minutes or something like that. And we watch her the entire time. We stare at her eating a pie. And it's it's sad because we know she's just eating this whole pie to like try and have some something inside of her because she feels so empty right now. Um, And so we watch her just eat this pie. And it would be a totally different scene if we watched her pick up the entire pie the scene cuts and the pie plate comes back in and it's just totally empty. Like we'd be like, wow, she just ate an entire pie. Uh, she must feel really sad. 
but forcing us to sit in this moment, this horrible moment of her eating a pie and being so heartbroken about her husband's death means it adds so much more emotional weight than any uh, than any cutaway could, right. you know? And so this movie does this so often where we get these prolonged shots and like just watching these horrible things happen and it is sad. It is so sad, but the things that makes it so sad is forcing us to sit through it all. Like we watch movies because they're quick and action paced and someone's like, "Okay, let's let's get to the bank." And then they're at the bank. But forcing us to sit through every all of these moments, it has so much more emotional weight to it. Um, and so I think it's really well done. Good job at sitting in the shit. I, I think it's even the little things about this scene, too, that really add a little bit of a punch to it. And that's why spending five minutes in that scene is okay for me is because when she picks up the pie and she goes to cut herself a slice mm-hmm. and then realizes that there's nobody else left, it's just her, mm-hmm. and that why would she cut a slice when she can just sit down and eat the whole thing um and it really adds this emotional punch of like forcing you to watch this for five minutes is painful yeah and the fact that it's so still it's literally just her eating it and there's she's blank faced there's no expression she's not sobbing her way through it in some cliche way and and uh, casey affleck's character the ghost is just watching mm-hmm. he's just standing there in the back and just watching and then she gets up after eating it and pukes yeah and then the scene is over and i think it's just this i think it's a really heartbreaking scene that just showcases the pain of losing someone and, and being left alone by yourself and the fact that there's such a giant void and she will fill it by sitting down and eating a pie because that's something to occupy her mind yeah you know um yeah it's a scene that is obviously divisive <laughs> Some mm-hmm. people are going to watch a movie and not want to watch someone sit and eat a pie for 7% of the movie's entire runtime. See, I wanted to watch the movie, and I didn't even watch that scene. I wasn't paying much attention because, I mean, it's so long. It's the same thing for five minutes. And and you know just the length of that scene justifies the emotional weight of that scene. Yeah. You don't necessarily see You don't need to see it. Yeah. You just – it just needs to be there. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the scene being any shorter, it would feel – it would cheapen the, the impact of that moment. But at the same point in time, you don't necessarily need to watch someone eat a pie for five minutes. But the fact that you do yeah. adds adds some weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a really another really interesting thing about this movie is its um, perception of time and how time works. Because um, we get very little actual time where they're both alive. I think in like within like the first ten or fifteen minutes, he dies, um, and so uh, time goes way differently for the rest of the movie. Uh, moments feel like hours. I guess that I guess that's kind of the point of these long shots. Is moments feel like hours and hours feel like seconds. Like it's that idea of like when he when she finally moves out of the house and he goes to try and get that little note. Which I'm so mad that we never know what that note is, but I understand it. It's a MacGuffin. I, I get it. I love I it. Get it. But uh, um when he goes to scratch at the thing and then like two seconds later, the new family moves into the house. Yeah. And so, uh, I think this movie takes like, it does such a good job at like messing with our perception of time. We don't know how long's passed. We don't know where we are now. Like we don't, it could be years. It could be months. It could be decades. Like we don't know. Um, and so I, I really like that idea of perception of time, uh, in the afterlife. 
And I think this movie does a really, it tackles the afterlife in a really interesting way that I like um, because it has no, it's not trying to say anything about like life and death and God and Satan or anything like that. Um, It's not trying to give you this idea of what the afterlife is. It's this idea of this is what it could be like. And this, maybe it is just us reliving our lives over and over again and having watching like family members move on without us and things like that maybe that is it which if it is fuck that yeah that sucks yeah um but the important part is is it's it's like it's that idea of moving on i think is Mm -hmm. very prevalent in this and so we see it through like the ghosts and through uh his wife and everything but yeah in regards to how the movie handles time, I also think it's really interesting how time is relatively normal uh, and still until um, Rooney Mara's character leaves. Yeah. And, and once Rooney Mara's character leaves, that's where time really starts to loot, where like it really starts to fade away mm-hmm. because he he has the time or not, yeah, of course. He has yeah, the he's time. got the time. <laughs> he, he's got the time to watch her. He ain't going anywhere. Eat a pie for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And but then almost every other character after that has very small amount of screen time because of the fact that time is so warped. Mm-hmm. A family moves in and, and he throws plates and they're cleaning up the plates. And then we don't know if they left the house immediately after this, if they instantly were like, okay, this house is haunted. We're out of here. But then the next, yeah, it's just like the next shot we get is the house looks destroyed. It looks like a squatter house, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the party, the people, oh, who the, the party right. The party happens. Right. But that's pretty quick after like these, this family mm-hmm. moves out. He continues to scratch at the wall. And then another group of people move in it's all so far lost like mm-hmm. time is so lost in in what it actually is in this movie i think it's very interesting yeah it, it's time is like it makes no sense in this movie and you can't try to make sense of it like we have no idea how long after he died it took for uh his wife to actually leave the house or anything like that and so it it makes us less look at time and how long he's been there and more just like observe these moments he's observing. Um, another really cool thing that I find about this movie, and this is kind of going back to like the ghost sheet character, is that it's such a clever character to use because it allows us as individuals to put ourselves into that character way more than we could if it was an actual person. Like... Uh, for example, if we as as viewers try to put ourselves into the shoes of Theodore from her, it's a little difficult because obviously we don't relate to him as much. But if you just give us this blank sheet of a character, literally a blank sheet of a character, um, and like allow him to live this life, we oftentimes feel like we are the person underneath that sheet. Like, it's not very hard to place yourself into um, his spot. And we feel like that, too, as the viewer of the movie. Like, maybe, as a super meta thing, maybe we're watching this entire movie from the from the view of, like, a future ghost of his or whatever. Or maybe we're just another ghost in this house watching this happen or things like that. And so there's so much about the fact that it's just this blank character that we're allowed to put ourselves into and can easily put ourselves into that makes like the intense emotional moments more like way more emotional in my opinion. Yeah. One part of the movie that I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I know that this is one of the things that's really 
uh, a lot of people don't like this scene. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what you think of it. What do you think of the party sequence with essentially the like five minute long monologue from from the main dude at the party? Because I know a lot of people feel like it's essentially some people think it's like a very direct wink from David Lowry kind of like over explaining the movie, which kind of is. Mm-hmm. But I do like this scene. And I, I think the sort of fourth wall break that occurs by having this character almost directly talking to the ghost. And I think it's very well done, even if the scene is kind of feeding you a bit more than it needs to. Mm-hmm. I was just curious what you think about it. I think I agree. I think it's it's totally uh, David Lowridge being like, hey, here's kind of what the movie's trying to say. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also really good because I think uh, as much of the, uh, some of the stuff that he says is true, we see contradictions of it throughout the movie. Like, for example, how, um, like, yes, are we, like, the Beethoven thing, where it's like, Beethoven will stay forever and ever until somebody stops playing him. Somebody will always be playing him. Um, We, like, yes, that's true, that eventually at some point it'll end, and so, like, what's the point of making it? But I think... The contradiction to that we see in the movie is the song that he makes. Um, what did you say it was called? I Get Overwhelmed. I Get Overwhelmed. The song, that song, um, yes, maybe it'll go out into the world and some people will hear it um, or whatever. Uh, but in this instance, it doesn't from what we can gather. It doesn't actually make it out into the world. It never makes it out into the world. Um or maybe it does, who knows. But we see the wife listening to it on her iPod. And so, yes, the things that we put out into the world, eventually they will fade away until somebody forgets about them. Um, but it's not about them lasting forever. It's about the lasting impressions they leave on other people. Like, yes, it, her husband's dead, but she still listens to the music he made. Like, And it means something way more to her than somebody else who would just like randomly listen to it. So yes, there is some truth in the fact that he talks about um, the world's going to end and everything you make won't matter anymore at some point. But that's not the point of making things. The point of making things is yes, they will end, but it's the impressions that they leave on people that are the important parts. Yeah. Um, And so I think he's looking at the world in a very nihilistic way and in a very glass half empty kind of way. So... I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's fine, it works, uh, but yes, I would have to agree that it is kind of like pushing the movie's agenda. It doesn't really need to, but I'm fine with it. I think it's a, I think it's a good addition. I, I was very intrigued because I was like, who is this guy? What is he talking about? Why is he bald and wearing coveralls and knows the secrets of the universe? Yeah. Who is he? He is David Lowry. Yeah. He's got to be. He's yeah. got to be some sort of like, this is me. I'm, I'm in this movie and I'm telling you about it yeah. sort of moment. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was 17, I really loved this scene. I think it is definitely over explaining it mm-hmm. and it's spoon feeding the audience a bit too much. But the line in particular that I, I remember stuck with me and, and still sticks with me so much so to the point where I had to include it here is the part where he says, we build our legacy piece by piece, and maybe the whole world will remember you, or maybe it's just a couple of people, but you do what you can to make sure you're still around after you're gone. Yeah. And and I think, honestly, you could remove the whole scene and keep that line, and and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, it is a very nihilistic look, and he contradicts some of the things that we directly see in the movie. But but overall, I, I, I like that scene. And I, 
understand why people think it's a flawed, over-explanatory scene. Mm-hmm. But I also like the contrast of, like, this movie has been so quiet and pretty much, like, dialogueless. Like, there's, like, no words for, like, so mm-hmm. long in the movie that when you get this long monologue explaining everything, it feels out of place. But uh, I like the scene. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's powerful. This is a movie where, you know, I've debated getting getting tattoos about this movie and i know mm-hmm. our roommate morgan um still wants to yeah he wants to get the lyric i get overwhelmed tattooed on him which means means a lot to to him and to me and honestly like i just think this movie has such a, a quiet beauty to it that that has stuck with me for so long it's it's just one of those movies where every time i think about it i feel something else and every oh got the hiccups Every time I rewatched this movie, um, I'm still just as greatly impacted as the times before. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's very beautiful and, and it's very depressing. Yeah. But the way it explores um, time and, and loss and, and, and death, mm-hmm. I think are very, very interesting. And, and I, th- I think, too, it, it harks a point that uh, has been seen in movies for so long and like it's a it's a constant thing where it's like you don't have as much time as you think. Yeah. Like the fact that it's so short in the beginning before he dies I think is on purpose because it's like we feel even as the audience like we've been robbed of a character. Yeah. Like we just lost a character and we were like oh, I barely had any time with them. Mm-hmm. So I think it, I think it's also harks that um and it's a thing we see in Hollywood all the time in movies and stuff. But, um, I think it, it does a really cool way of saying that and being like you as an audience also don't get enough time with this character. Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, like those first 15 minutes are, are very slow. It's like, there's like a long shot of them laying in bed mm-hmm. and while you're watching it for the first time, it's like, holy shit, these first 20 minutes are, are kind of agonizing, but when you lose Casey Affleck's character, that absence kind of drives the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And and on a second watch makes you really relook the time that you actually get to spend with him mm-hmm. in it. And it's like so much of this movie is silence and isolation. And the first 10 to 15 minutes are very com- – it's all connection and conversation. And everything after that is so isolating and sad mm-hmm. to the point where – I love those first 15 minutes because I just love spending time with both of them before what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask, I know you had mentioned that you hate that you don't get to see what the note is. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask what you think the note would be. Uh, It's probably some bullshit like, I love you. I'll never forget you. All this stuff. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I, I find it doesn't really matter because it doesn't it, like if I had seen what was on that note, it would have been less satisfying about even with not seeing it. Like I wouldn't have been satisfied if I saw what was on that note. Yeah. So I totally get why we don't see it. MacGuffins when they're done poorly suck, but mm-hmm. MacGuffins when they're done right, like in Pulp Fiction or in this, I, I think are, are very powerful. You don't necessarily need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it was like, um, I don't know, something, but I, I really liked, I, I knew, I kind of knew once that note got put in there and once we saw that the other ghost vanished after they realized that the person they were waiting for wasn't going to come, I kind of knew that that note was going to be the thing that was going to make him, foof, yeah. you know, um, I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to see what was on it, but it's fine. I digress. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's like a giant Reddit 
There's probably like a huge Reddit thing about like what was on that note. So I'll just go look at that later. Yeah, there's definitely a whole forum talking about it. Mm-hmm. I, I really love how when time starts to get, you know, completely frayed in the movie. Oh, it's a dog. I was wondering what that was. A dog. Uh, with, when time starts to get really confusing in this movie, I really love how we we get to go forward in time and we get to see, you know, him on the skyscraper looking out and this is where his house used to be. And now it's an entire city. Yeah, exactly. And, and just seeing how, how the world can kind of pass you by. I also really like how eventually he literally goes so far into the future that he goes back and kind of restarts time, which is weird. I don't really understand that. Maybe, maybe it's like, um, maybe it's the fact that he tries to, quote unquote kill himself even though he's already dead when he jumps off the top of the roof maybe him dying or dying uh i did little air quotes in there but no one else saw it uh like him hitting the ground essentially like restarts his spiritual life in a way Mm -hmm. where it sends him back to the beginning of that house um before he's even built like pioneers like bringing carts there Mm -hmm. um and so I don't like obviously no one really gets how time works in this movie. That's the point of it. Um, but I do like how we jump back in time and then we get back to the point where he is dead. It's also really weird to see the ghost there and him in real life. Yeah, that was something that David Lowry thought of on set on the day. Uh, he, that image wasn't something he ever came up with in his head. Hmm. And then he realized like if he can see the other ghost like. Kesha's ghost. Yeah. Uh, if he can see the other ghost, why wouldn't he be able to see himself as a ghost? True. And so that imagery was just sort of something that was added really last minute, but it's a very painful shot to know that he's gone so far back and forward now mm-hmm. that he's seeing himself dead, staring at himself alive. You know, like it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's very weird. And I, I also kind of called the, I knew this exactly when it happened because I, I kind of knew the basics of ghost story before we watched it, but I knew that that loud piano noise in the beginning of the movie was actually him as a ghost. Like I knew that pretty quick. I didn't. When I, when I was 17, I remember that fucking me up. I was like, whoa, he's the one. He's made. the ghost. Yeah. Like literally I heard it and I was like, I wonder if that was him. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's, I digress. To, to kind of close off the conversation, what, what would you say a ghost story is about? At, at its core i think at its core it, it's a lot of, of um as i said earlier it, like it totally harks on that idea of like uh you don't have as much time with people as you think or like time is a finite thing or whatever or a very fragile thing um but i think for me what i got out of a ghost story like the biggest thing that i got out of the of a ghost story um was like not like those small moments, those little moments and the importance of those. Like he, there are so many moments of like, uh, or no way. Now that I think about it, I have a different answer. I think that what I got from uh, ghost story was the idea of sitting in the shit in real life, in our lives as people. Um, he, there was so much of his relationship that, like we don't learn to the end of the movie that his relationship was actually on the rocks. Yeah. They were very, very, they were going through a lot of shit. They were very flawed. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and it was mostly because he was just like not, he wasn't putting as much effort or work into the relationship. And she was being, she was the one who was kind of like on the lead of it. And she felt very alone in that sense. Um, and so if I learned anything from this movie, it is the fact that sometimes sitting in those horrible moments in those awful times, it sucks, but it, it can be super important. Like there can be so much importance behind those moments and sitting in those horrible, awful moments and being like, okay, let me just process this as much as I can. Let me get as much as I can out of this because we will learn from those moments and we will evolve from those moments. Um, but uh, I think we will also miss those moments, those horrible moments, even though they suck. After we die, we will miss them. You miss everything. You miss everything. I mean, you're dead, but exactly. And it's so prominent in the in this movie because he is missing these huge gaps. Even in the time that he isn't alive, he's missing these massive gaps of like what's going on. And so, um, like sitting in those moments, even though they fe- make minutes feel like hours, is so important. And yeah, so I think that's kind of what I got from the movie. Mm-hmm. And I and also to cap it off, I would rate this movie a four and a half. Like, wow, this movie is so good, and I don't know if I'll watch it again because it, it just makes me feel sad. If I ever need to feel just utterly Awful. crushed, yeah, I'll watch it again. Um, but no, it, it was really good, and I think the only reason why I give it a 4.5 and I don't give it a 5 is just because tech on a technical standpoint it is a bit slow mm-hmm. um i understand that it that is what it is meant for it's meant to be slow there's a reason why it's slow but from a technical standpoint um there are even moments that i feel like could have been a little shorter and did not need to last as long as they did because i as a audience member i looked at these moments took them in and i was like okay i feel like i've taken everything out of this moment and then it went on for another 30 seconds or a minute yeah um and so I, but overall i i enjoyed this movie so much like it, it is if you ever just want to watch a movie that makes you think about life and death and makes you feel so sad inside this here is you the go one. you want to feel you want to get your soul crushed watch a ghost story yeah I think there's something so interesting about the fact that he is so content where he is when he's alive. Mm-hmm. And then she when... wants she wants to leave. She wants to start a new life in a new house. He's content in this house. And when he's dead, he's also stuck at this house. He can't, you know, yeah. bring himself to leave it on. And that's the big thing for me is like he is so stuck in his ways when he was alive to the point where when he's dead, he's even more stuck in his ways. Cause now there's really nothing else he can do other than sit with the memories and this place that was once his. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when I think about what this movie's about, I think a big thing about it is letting go, Ex- yeah. accepting that nothing can last forever. And that holding on to loss can sometimes be more painful than trying to accept that loss. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's such a painful movie, man. Wow, it's very interesting. Now that you say, like, you literally just said letting go, and I totally think that's what the movie's about, but it's very interesting how we both had two very different ideas. I was like, hang on, and you were like, let go. Yeah. It, yes, it is very much about letting go, and now that you say that, I don't know why I didn't think of that. No, but... I, I see where you're coming from, though. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This movie is, uh, like I said at the beginning, it's one of the movies that got me into movies. It was where mm-hmm. I realized how how much I could feel like pain watching a movie. Like obviously, I've watched sad movies before and I've cried at movies before throughout my life, but this is the first one where 
like this sticks with me like four years after watching it i'm watching it again and i'm feeling the exact same thing you know Hmm. it's i would give this a five out of five because of just how much it's impacted me and how much it's done for me Mm -hmm. and and understanding um things that this movie's trying to say yeah it's great a24 can do no wrong man yeah they do they have always done good so I, I await the day that they put out a bad movie. It's so funny. Totally random. We're going to end this episode. But it's so funny. They started off releasing a lot of really bad movies. And then they course corrected. And they haven't released anything bad for a long time. See, that's that's what you got to do. You got you to gotta not be like Adam Sandler and just constantly release bad movies because you can. Yep. And make money off them. And release bad movies, learn from them, and make better movies. And move forward. You know Tusk? That movie about the guy who gets like transformed into like a walrus? It's awful. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. What? No, I don't know that movie. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe we'll talk about it. Jeez. It's messed up. And don't. they did Tusk, and they also did Spring Breakers with uh, James Franco, Selena Gomez, and Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, jeez. Uh, this was like 2012, 2013. They were off to a rough start. But yeah, that is rough. Anyways, uh, they make great movies now. Yeah, true. I like Ghost Story. Um, but yeah, I think that's our existential episode on her in a ghost story. Um, if you want to check out our other less existential episodes, you can find them on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, you can also check out our Instagram at the Dive In Movie Cast, where you post movie news and stuff like that. And our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris. And it's the same for our letterbox if you want to check out our movie reviews. So, um, once again, thanks for watching. And as always, we are the Dive In Movie Cast. And we will see you on our next Far less depressing episode. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. All right. See you next week.